This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 211 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, December, January the 6th, 2024. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who joined us last week for our episode with Brian Gray. Ton of fun during that episode. It was long. You can check that out on the YouTube channel and on podcast in two different parts. Next Saturday on the show, our guest is Dave Schwartz. He's the host of the popular podcast the shallow end he goes by iowa dave on instagram no mc mondays this monday but tomorrow night there will be a pwcc hockey weekly auction watch party with myself and josh madigan of the hockey cards gong show i would like to ask you to join close to half a million people who have downloaded the center stage app across both ios and android for quick comps and card management features their app is the fastest and most accurate at shows or at home to help you price your cards you can build organize share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using the social sharing features marketplace features are coming soon check out their instagram account and please join me in supporting the wonderful team and the innovation they are undertaking at center stage also use protection practice safe swaps veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail, every transaction up to a million dollars is val- in value is fully insured by their guarantee. You can check them out on iOS and Android. It's now live in Canada, and they will be opening up a Canadian hub very soon. They're offering $50 in free trade credit to anybody who uploads 10 hockey cards to their account. Please join me also every second Tuesday on Instagram Live, where myself and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee host a live, and we call it the Veriswap Trade Desk. We look at Three different trades. We show the the side A and side B, and we all vote on which side we think won the trade. Also, I want to shout out HobbyNewsDaily.com, and I want to thank Danny Black for having me on 
their YouTube show just yesterday. You can check that out, that out on the Hobby News Daily YouTube channel. And also, as always, shout out Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. Leighton will be joining us shortly tonight for the Vintage Spotlight segment. I also want to let you all know that you can now buy and sell tag-graded cards on ComC. Also, Tag's new Tag X grading service is a game changer. And Pokemon and other round corner TCGs are now eligible for grading at Tag. Visit taggrading.com if you value transparency and consistency in your grading. As always, I want to thank all partners, sponsors, and supporters, loyal viewers and listeners of the show. Thank you for your support. If you're not yet subscribed, please take a moment and do so. And uh, Happy New Year as well to everybody. Although I think it's about time to stop saying that this year. As always, your comments, your questions are in play. So let's get to it, everybody. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 1981. He was four years old, and every Friday, his parents would order pizza and subs. He would go with his dad to pick them up, and he'd get to buy some packs of cards. He's been in the hobby ever since. His favorite players of all time are Michael Jordan, Mario Lemieux, Mean Joe Green, Willie Mays, and his favorite teams of all time are all Pittsburgh, the Penguins, the Pirates, the Steelers, but also the Chicago Bulls. He's originally from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, currently hailing from Fairfax, Virginia. Let's bring him out. Rex Morgart, welcome to Sports Cards Live. Rex, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Jeremy. Uh, I'm doing great and super excited to be here. Um, fan of your show, so really excited to get on here and talk about the things that I love. Well, you know, when, when, we, first, when we first made contact, uh, I mean, it resonated with me, Rex, because first of all, your display behind you is unbelievable. That Thank might you. be the best display that's ever been a backdrop that's ever a guest has ever had on an episode of Sports Cards Live. I love it. You are you are you are surrounded by vending machines, which is something you collect. And we're going to talk about unopened product and all that. But I like vending machines too, Rex. I've got one right there. I believe it's similar to the one maybe to your left over there. It so is. we we have some things in common in the hobby. I also love unopened packs. I think what they represent is awesome. We'll get into that. But before we do. Let's uh, let's learn a little bit about you. I mean, um, I don't think you are very active on Instagram, uh, so I don't think really that many of the viewers would would know you or know what you collect. Uh, but you are active in a, at least one uh, one one large Facebook group. We'll get to that shortly. But let's let the audience get to know you a little bit. Tell us a bit about your your history in the hobby. Yeah, like you said, I'm not I'm not super active on all those, you know, all the social media stuff, but I am in the Facebook group a little bit, but we'll chat about that later. Um, yeah, I mean, as a collector, like you stated in the intro, um, my first recollection of getting into cards and the hobby was 1981, you know, going to pick up, you know, subs and pizzas on a little corner store, little three aisle corner store with the cards were right by the register. My dad would always buy me a pack or two of the cards and the old uh, stickers for the top sticker albums. And uh, that's kind of my first, um, you know, recollection of actually getting cards and being active. But um, really, um, I, I have a very, very vivid recollection of the first time I, I truly became a collector. Um, I was in about sixth grade, which I was around 1987, and we, we were in we were in my homeroom class in school, and I sat right beside two two of my best friends, and they used to pass out those little. Uh, like papers, you know, little flyers where you could order like magazines and books and little like coloring book kits, all that kind of stuff. And they had a baseball card collecting kit in there. And me and my friends kind of looked at each other and we kind of all agreed, hey, we're going to we're going to get this. And um, so we ordered it. You know, you 
bring your check into school or whatever from your parents. And, uh, you know, it comes a few weeks later and we got it. And it, it's, I still remember it like yesterday, man, there was that, that baseball card album from the eighties. It had pictures of all the cards on the front of it. You got a little price guide in there, uh, some pages and some cards to start you out. And I mean, literally ever, ever since then I've, I've been involved in the hobby and a collector. I'm not really much of a, I'm not much of a seller. Uh, I do sell things occasionally if I'm, you know, looking to buy something, you know, buy something else or upgrade something, but I don't do much of a, you know, selling. I am, I'm pretty much a true collector. Yeah. Right on. First of all, so I think you're talking like those scholastic book fair type of things, right? Where you'd get, I remember, I remember getting those in grade school as well. And you just, you just look and fantasize about getting all the different books in that, in that little flyer. Remember that well, that breaks. That brings back some some good memories. Before we get on, let's say hello to, we got Jake Dahl here. We got Linda's first in the house. Kevin, good to see you. Good to have you. Thank you for, for joining. Linda says, I bet when you were thinking about starting this webcast, you had no idea you'd have to start each episode with all these promos. Uh, no, I didn't, Linda. You are right. I did not. Jeff McMahon, hello to you. Andrew, what's going on? Al G, welcome to the show. Me and Al made a deal earlier today. Thank you, Al. Barry Ma, good to see you, Barry. Happy New Year. Cardboard Profit in the house. What's going on? Cardboard Profit. Card Vibe. Good to see you. Unopened Vintage Wax is my new obsession. Well, good episode for you to be joining. Dan's Vintage. What's going on? Good to see you. Carvin Chung, the legend. What up? What up? What up, Carvin? Good to see you. 90s Hockey Collector. Good evening. The Professor has joined us. Vintage Card Collector is here. T-Dot. What's going on? The Cardboard Corner. Hello. And Bobby Burrell. A great guy to have on uh, watching this episode. He loves what's behind you, Rex. Says, love the big oak vendor. That's a heavy one. Oh, that's amazing. Mike Double V, what's happening? Jeff Hart, good evening to you as well. So, oh, and Joe Sacco. What's going on, Joe Sacco? Formerly the Toronto Maple Leafs. JH, loves some old wax. All right, Rex, I wanted to ask you. You were a Chicago Bulls fan. Tell tell us that story. I find that pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, growing up in Pittsburgh, we've never had an NBA team. Um, so I didn't follow really any NBA growing up until about, I think it was 1989-90, when um, you know, our, our local uh, cable system started picking up the WGN channel out of Chicago. And they televised all of the Chicago Bulls games. And it just happened to coincide with that time when Michael Jordan was exploding from, you know, kind of this young up and coming rookie to really a, a superstar in the league. And I, I was just mesmerized by watching him. Um, I, I watched every single game. I was pretty passionate about it, you know, for never having an NBA team in my city or really being an NBA fan previous to that. My dad wasn't into the NBA, uh, you know, like on a regular basis like that. So, you know, it was just seeing Jordan just, it's something clicked, man. I just, I had never seen anything like it. And I just, I, I, I have very vivid memories of watching him. And even to this day, I still remember laying on my couch watching him against, I think that it was a Laker playoff game. I think when he kind of goes up, up one side, switches hands up underneath like a defender and lays it right in, you know, just crazy stuff that he would do like that. And um, I mean, it was, it was an amazing time in the NBA. And um, I think I mentioned to you that you know, it's kind of funny, as passionate as I was about the Bulls and the NBA back then, when Michael Jordan retired, and, and even maybe his last year, like with the Wizards, um, I kind of just fell off. I haven't 
I, I literally have not watched an NBA game since the day Michael Jordan retired. Um, yeah, that, maybe a minute or two here or there, but I, I can maybe name four, four or five current NBA players. I just, yeah. That's what I find interesting is that uh, you were more of a Jordan fan than a basketball fan. It sounds like, and that's, that's pretty nor I don't think that's uh you know, outside the, the realm of, of normalcy really, because Jordan is, he just transcends, he transcended basketball, the NBA. And yeah. uh, what he did was unbelievable. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that, uh, you know, as passionate as you were, you haven't, you're, you're no longer a basketball fan. You're still a Jordan fan, but you're not, you're, you don't follow basketball anymore. I watch, uh, I watch college. I still watch my college team, University of Pittsburgh, Pitt Panthers. I still follow them and watch them closely and some college basketball, March Madness. But as far as NBA, man, I've just lost interest. You know, I, I see these funny clips on like Facebook. Or that you know they'll show like LeBron taking like six steps to the basket and laying it in. You know, I just I see stuff like that and I just kind of turns me off and just it's all three pointers and I don't know. I'm just not. What happened to the travel? What happened? All right, let's get into the into the uh, the sealed packs and boxes. How did you first get into and, and get interested? And what was your first exposure? I really want to find that initial moment. If you can sure. go back in your mind to the first time. Where you said to yourself, "Ooh, I like, I like the idea of unopened packs and collecting them." What was that? What was that moment? Yeah, I know. I I know exactly when it was. Um, as, as a kid, you know, again being 10, 11 years old, my my dad would take me to a lot of the local card shows. You know, little local fire hall shows, mall shows. You know, Holiday Inn. Uh, so we would go to all the shows, and um, one one vendor in particular was always at the shows, a local guy, and he always had unopened packs. And again, so that we're talking like 1987, 88. So he at that time, he had packs from like maybe like 1976 to like 1980, which were older. And, you know, at that time, you just you didn't see a lot of that stuff, especially at little local shows. Um, you didn't see that kind of stuff. And I, I was just fascinated by this is like a 10 year old pack and it's still unopened. Like how, how do you leave the gum in there? How do you, how, do, how does that sit somewhere for 10 years and nobody thinks to open it or wants to open it? You know, how, how did that, how did that pack get here? You know, more, more or less, or, or you know, I mean, you talk about packs in the fifties, how did they get here? But, you know, even 10 years back, you know, how, how did they survive? They weren't, you know, super collectible like that back in the seventies, you know, uh, people weren't thinking, Oh, unopened stuff's going to be worth, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so how, how did these things survive? And I would buy packs from him. They would be maybe a buck, two bucks, three bucks a pack. Um, and I, I would bring them home and I just, I kept them and displayed them in my, in my bedroom, you know? Um, and my friends would come over and be like fascinated by, by seeing these packs. And they would always ask me like, well, how, you know, why don't you open them or a, you know, how come you don't want to open them? So, but I just didn't want to. I thought it was super cool just seeing those old packs. And, you know, th then there was also, I would just like, I would daydream about what it would be like to find a box in an attic of 1954 tops or 55 tops or 52 tops, you know, something like that, um, that would just be mind blowing. And, um, you know, it's crazy, but that's, yeah, that's kind of, where it started for me it, it was literally just the the interest uh in, in the fact that these things had not been opened i mean that, that's yeah yeah for, for me it was it was a little bit different because i didn't get into the unopened packs until the early to mid 2000s like 2000 and 
five, six, seven. It was in there when I realized that, whoa, these things, because they reminded me of the 80s. And when I used Mm -hmm. to open up packs, like going back to 1980, 81, 82, 82 is when I really started opening up packs, like by the stack when I could. And I just, it was that, it's really that nostalgia to back then that, oh man, like, like I just, they're so they they are such a cool thing. I think personally, they're so cool. Listen, it's 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 one thing for guys like us who grew up in that era to say it's so cool. They're so cool. But if you <laughs> only started collecting cards in the late nineties or even in the early pandemic, yeah. do you really care that much about the packs from our youth? I don't know. Maybe I'm sure some people do, but when you have that direct connection to them, I think it's just I think it's just super super awesome. That's why I that's why I was so excited to have this chat with you. Let's say yeah. good afternoon to uh, Brett S. What's going on, Brett? Jake Dahl here. Rex says, are there cards in those vending machines behind you? Uh, there are in some of them, but at this point, I don't remember which ones actually have some cards in them. And they don't have like the period card years in them. I think except for the 71 machine might have some 71s in them. Um, basically for the for the reason that I don't want to destroy the cards as they're being vended or anything, you know, right. but... Um, yeah, there, some of the machines do have cards in and they all work. Card Vibe here says there's so many reasons to collect vintage wax packs, the artwork, the his, the history, mm-hmm. and the rarity. Yes, I, I'm with you. I think we're all I think we're both with you on that card vibe. Welcome to the show. Laura is back, been a while. Pleasant evening to you, Laura. Nikola Tesla says, How can this guy have all this sealed gold and resist the urge to open it? We're gonna get into how we resist the urge, Nikola Tesla. Tesla Mike says I have zero self-control with packs. I couldn't leave anything unopened. And that's why they're that's why they're so cool because they're so rare. They're so hard to find. Still unopened. Mitch, oh, what does this say? Jay Lee, I listened to 19 hours of your podcast today, starting since 4 a.m. when I started work. Love the content. Keep up the great work. I love hearing about those hidden gems you pointed out. Mitch, well, thank you for that. Uh Commitment to listening today. That's a lot of time. Take a break, Mitch. Take a break. Uh, Brett S. says, Rex is the grandmaster for willpower and delayed gratification. There you go. There you go. Jay, what do you think of the Black Diamond Gems Retro? I don't – well, not not for right now, Mitch. T-Dot, I buy Opeachy 80 sticker packs. Pure nostalgia. No doubt. No doubt. Card Vibe says there's a lot of folks that don't open vintage packs. And some have an opinion you shouldn't open them. I understand both opinions, but prefer to keep them unopened. And we're going to be getting into that exact topic, especially when Leighton joins us here in about 15 minutes or so. And Brett says, I have a box of 93 SP football purely for the nostalgia and how much I love that set as a teenaged kid. Exactly. I think that is very important. And Vintage Card Collector wants to know about the grade. Yeah, we'll be getting into that later. Uh, vintage. Okay. I wanted to ask you, Rex, about the community because you know i'm pretty active on online networks whether it be twitter instagram youtube facebook uh and as well as you know the in-person communities at card shows and stuff but as far as vintage unopened packs vending machines can you just sort of uh enlighten me and the audience as to like what sort what is the community like is it how how not that you could quantify the amount of participants uh maybe you have an idea but how do you how do you find or how do you think that the the unopened vintage collector community compares to 
say, the vintage card collecting community? Yeah, first, I wanted to just touch on one of the comments you just read about the nostalgia part of it. I mean, that, that's a huge part of it. Um, we all we all want we all want our childhoods back. We all want to remember those things. And every time I crack open, you know, you crack open one of those wax packs and you can smell that gum and feel the cards. I mean, it, it just like instantly transports you back. And I think that's what that's what truly hooks hooks a lot of us in um, is that that feeling of nostalgia. And, you know, the, the guy that commented mentioned 93 football. That's a little bit after my time that I collect. But, you know, if that was part of your childhood, you know, that 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 brings back all those memories, just seeing that box. Um you know, as as for the the pack community, like I said, I, I took an early interest back in the late '80s and, and in in this you know unopened stuff. And you know, back then it was such a small niche in the hobby. Like you just didn't didn't see the stuff. Even at some of the larger shows, you know, my dad would take me down. Pit, uh, there used to be a big show in Pittsburgh um, once a year, and we he would drive me down and we would go to the show. And um, you know, Mister Mint would attend the show. Um, so it was a pretty big, pretty big show. And you didn't, you just didn't see this stuff. And there, there was no internet back then. <laughs> there was no eBay back then. I know that's hard to believe, but you know, there, there was, so you didn't, I, I didn't even know what a 52 tops pack looked like back then because you, how, how would I know, you know, there, there's no place where you just go look this stuff up at the, you know, in the palm of your hand, like we do now. Um, so there was always that curiosity factor too. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the community has really grown. I, I've seen it just kind of explode over the last five, 10 years. Um, uh, you know, the pandemic too, things went nuts. And I think even more people got into it. And, you know, pack breaking has become a big thing online now. And that's that all feeds into it. Um, just talking about the social media aspect of it. Um, so like the vintage, I'm in a, a group, it's called Vintage Wax and Packs on Facebook. Um it's an amazing group. I mean, there is a ton of knowledge in that group. And I encourage anybody, if you're interested in pack collecting, if you are a pack collector, if you're just curious, jump in the group. You can learn a ton. I mean, there's people that know far more than I do in there um, that have some amazing expertise. Um, the group started in 2016 with a few hundred members, um, me, being, me being one of them. Um, I think there was like 500 members when I joined in 2020. I think they had 5,000 members and today they have over 16,000. So it's a, you can just see the growth rate, you know, the fast growing community there and the interest. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's just continues to get more popular as, you know, the live breaks become more popular and people learn more about it. Yeah. That's it. That's awesome. I don't need, I don't think I'm a member of that group, but I will be by the within half an hour of this of, of our show ending tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. go join that group for sure, especially since I have a collection of this stuff and yeah. I, I have it out here beside me, of course, uh, while having you on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The next thing I want to ask you about are, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to it after some comments, but start thinking about this, Rex. 
what are like you know as card collectors we know what the most iconic cards are like you know you know everybody know it's the 52 tops mantle the honus wagner the wayne yeah. gretzky the michael jordan a top whatever tom brady card is, is hot at the time <laughs> you know there, there's always there are always cards that are the most sought after and uh by by the hardcore collectors i would like to know from you what are the most sought after grail type pieces that actually exist uh amongst your you and your fellow unopened pack collect like i'm an unopened pack collector rex but it's not like it's i'm not hardcore into it i've got a collection i'll pick up a you know haven't picked up a piece really in in a couple years now but i'm i'm I'm, i'll pick up some pieces now uh you know maybe one or two a year if that um so I want to get that from you. But before, while you think about that, let's just go to some more of the comments that have come through while you were chatting. Uh, Chad Shipper says, uh, you have much better willpower than I do. If I have a pack, I have to rip it. And Chad, you are fall, far from alone. Bob Boozle in the house says, I'm a little dazed. Been sniffing 1992 <laughs> Fleer Ultra Packs all afternoon. Now, I actually know that distinct smell of 92 Fleer Ultra when they added that coating, that that yeah. nice glossy coating. That, did have, that does have a smell. Bob Boozle. Make sure you are sitting down for the rest of the show, please, Mr. Boozle. Andrew D says, Mr. Mint was a character. Met him a few times. He did bring a lot of eyeballs to the industry with his ways. And Linda's first says, please rest in peace to Mr. Rosen, who was also Mr. Mint. Said he always had a booth, first booth, right at the door at every show. Andrew D. Andrew D says, um, Vintage Wax and Packs is the best group on Facebook. That's nice. So I'm looking forward to joining. Card Vibe joined it just a few Months ago says it is solid sports card shorts as PSA is grading packs. Now PSA has been grading packs for 15 years anyway. I mean, I've, I've been, I was buying my PSA slab packs back uh, in the mid two thousands for sure. Uh, we've got Henry in the house. What's going on, Henry? We got Dave Snyder with us. Welcome to the show, fellas. Mitch O says, starting with modern cards. Uh, we're not talking about modern cards tonight, Mitch O. This episode is about vintage and unopened packs. That sort of thing. Dave Snyder just got here. He's got the he's got he's got the virus. Welcome. Take care of yourself, please, Mister Dave Snyder. Says props on the BG interview. Appreciate that from last week for sure. Jay, I'm opening ninety one, ninety two upper deck hockey box. So much fun, no doubt, no doubt. And Craig's card says, are we seeing less or more fake packs nowadays? That's an interesting topic uh, that you know I didn't even have in my notes for tonight, but. Uh, I'm gonna add that, and we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Uh, I'm gonna star that for now, uh, Craig, and we'll come back to that. But um, Rex, can you get back to my original question before the the comments there, which was, what are some of the most sought after pieces amongst you and your vintage pack collecting <laughs> brethren? Okay, so well, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of each sport, um, like kind of what I think are some of the best packs that you you would find out there. Um, so I think as far as baseball goes, I mean, the alt, well, yeah, I, I know you mentioned things that actually exist, but I am going to mention um, like ni- ni- 1933, 34, 38 Gaudi, um, Gaudi packs with the Ruths and the Lou Gehrig cards. Um, th- There's zero population right now on them. Um, I, I have seen a pack that a, um, a collector I know has one. Um, a guy who's been in a hobby a long time, who's a, uh, uh, he has an outstanding vintage collection, but he, he has shown me one, a 33 Gaudi pack. And it's pretty, pretty freaking awesome. 
Um, you know, it's got a, one piece of gum, one card, the wrapper. Um, he, it, it looks, it looks like a good pack. He said he, he showed it to Steve Hart. Um, he said, Steve was leaning towards that. It's probably a good pack, but he just didn't feel comfortable putting his stamp of approval on it because, you know, there's, there's a lot of scrutiny that's going to come with it. Um, you know, it's a one cent pack. So there's only one card in there and the one, the penny packs are much harder to authenticate because the, the, the way the flaps are folded on them, they're much easier to manipulate. Um, a little, you know, you're talking about almost a hundred year old pack. So they're, they're pretty hard to authenticate, but anyway, just throwing that out there as, as would be a grail pack, you know, if, if, if it exists, none are known to exist, no boxes are known to exist. Um, so that, that would be definitely one, um, 1941 play ball, um, with the color, uh, the color cards of like Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams from 41. Um, I don't believe there are any known packs of that either, but who knows, you know, they, they could be out there. Um, as far as stuff that actually does exist, um, for sure. 1952 tops is the obvious one. Everybody wants it. The, the packs that are known to exist. I think the population report is somewhere in the fifties, um, for how many, um, packs have been graded by PSA, but I don't think any are known to be high number packs and the high number packs are the ones that of course contain the Mickey Mantle rookie card. The only ones that are known right now are all thought to be low, low series up to uh, what is it? Number three ten or something like that. Um, so you wouldn't have a chance at the Mantle card. Um, 1940, late 1940s leaf and Bowman extremely rare. I think, only a handful of those have been found recently within the last few years in a major find, um, which I can talk about later if we want to talk about some big finds in the hobby. Uh, there was a 48 nearly complete Bowman box that came to market and, and brought in, I think, over half a million dollars. for nine, it, had nine, it had 19 of the 24 packs in the box, and it's the, it is the only one known to exist. It was just found a few years ago. Um, those would be my baseball. As far as hockey, um, now when you get into hockey, like anything from the 50s and 60s is just ultra rare in hockey. I mean, it, just any of it. Um, I mean, 66 tops with like the Bobby Orr rookie would obviously be an amazing pack. I don't know if there are any out there. Uh, the 54, guess, you know, 54s. Sorry, what I, what I really want to know is the ones that we know are out there. Like, not the fantasy stuff so much, but what are the what are the packs that we know exist that are, are that are kind of on people's radar? I understand a fifty two tops pack really interesting because you could pair it even if it's not a high numbers pack. You could pair it with your fifty two tops cards or your fifty two tops Mickey Mantle. But of yeah. the ones that are not like these fantasy, maybe they exist, maybe they don't. The ones that are really out there, like. I would expect sure. 52 tops, 86 Fleer basketball, 79 OPG hockey, right? Wherever there's a key. I guess the question is, just to make it even more specific, does the pack carry itself or is the pack carried by the key cards that were in that set? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, it, it kind of works both ways because um, – a lot, a lot of times, just the the rarity of a pack outweighs what's actually in the pack. Um, you know, there, there's certain years that are just hard to find, but there's no real key card in it. 
um, and it, it can drive the value really high um, and be a very desirable pack, even if the chances of getting really not really nothing in the pack um, exist. Just that that the fact that that pack alone exists in an unopened form makes it highly desirable. Um, but the, the things that like that do exist, I mean, one of probably one of the most expensive single packs that I know I know that has sold. Um, very low population was 1957 Topps basketball, which was the first year Topps produced basketball cards. Um, it's the kind of the 52 Topps of basketball. Um, it's got the Bill Russell rookie. Um, a PSA pack recently sold at auction for $130,000, one, one pack. So that is definitely a, wow. a grail pack. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Lots of great comments coming through you guys. And uh, I'm going to get to them. Uh, Leighton has joined us. We're going to start the Vintage Spotlight segment with Leighton Sheldon of Just Collect and Vintage Breaks. So let's bring Leighton on. And, and as always, I do ask the I ask the guest, I ask our guest, and I ask, uh, I ask Leighton to come with a question for each other. So we will do that. I'm just going to wait for him to come back for me. He seems to have just gone away. Okay, he's he seems to be back. Leighton, are you ready to go? You good? I think he's good to go. I'm going to bring him on. Let's see what happens here. Leighton, how are you? I don't think we can hear you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Leighton out for a sec. Leighton, are you, are you? Can you say something? I'm okay. Hi. Okay, we'll let we'll let Leighton uh, go in and out. While we do that, we'll go to a couple uh, a couple more comments that have been coming in. And again, guys, great stuff here. Um, evening to you, peeps. Card Vibe says, "What's Rex? What's your favorite pack that you own?" Ooh, favorite pack that I own. Hmm. Probably I have a 1969 Topps baseball cello pack. It was um it was a test issue, very limited. Um, very hard to find. The cellophane on it is super brittle and hard. They're, they're really hard to find. Um, that's probably my favorite pack. I just, I love the graphics on it and it's, it's a really rare pack. 69 cello is his favorite pack. That's uh, pretty cool. And then last question before we bring Leighton back, uh, Joe Sacco is asking, do you have any unopened boxes as well as single packs? I do. Um, I don't have as many um, full unopened boxes as I do single packs, but I do have, yeah, I do have a few in the collection. Cool. Very cool. All right. Chris C. Hello and good evening to you. Let's bring Leighton back out. There he is. Leighton, welcome back. How are you today? Good. Take two. Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> good. And Rex, Rex, meet Leighton, Leighton, meet Rex, fellas. Welcome to the show, Leighton. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. You know, I do. I, I like it when you guys have something to ask each other. And uh, Rex, let's jump in and uh, start with your question for Leighton. Hey, Leighton, how are you? Um, so I've, I've seen you out at some of the shows here on the East Coast. I've, you know, I've, I've visited your booth many a times over the years. So it's nice to talk to you in person or sort of sort, sort of in person. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I was, I was thinking of, uh, you know, a question I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, vintage pack breaks, these streaming pack breaks that people are doing online have gotten really big over the last few years. And I know that you were kind of one of the pioneers in that, from what I remember anyway, you're one of the first guys I remember 
seeing, you know, doing the online live streaming <coughs> breaks. Um, and I thought it was really cool. Um, but my, my question for you is, so I, I'm an unopened pack collector at heart. So when I see like a rare unopened pack from like the fifties or sixties opened, it kind of gives me, it's like a little dagger, like right here, you know, um, because uh, I kind of compare it to, you're sort of destroying a relic, almost like, you know, what they do with modern cards now where they destroy maybe a, you know, a bat or a Jersey, you know, of Babe Ruth or something to insert pieces into a card. Um, you know, and once you open the pack, it can't be, you know, it can't be put back together. It's, it's kind of lost forever. Um, but I, I, I will say I love watching, I love watching when you break like, you know, a super awesome rare pack and watch what comes out of it and feel that nostalgia. Um, so I was just wondering on your end, you know, you're a, a, a collector and a businessman. So like, I just wondered what your perspective on that was. Does it ever give you pause or do you think about what packs you open or don't open or, you know, how does that work for you? You know, it's funny before I comment about your question. I was like, oh, so I guess we're officially a guilty pleasure of Rex. You know, like meaning you don't really want to open the packs. If it was up to you, you wouldn't really open them. But it's kind of hard for you to look away. And I kind of feel for some like reality TV, you know, I'll go out locally in Hoboken and someone's like, hey, do you watch this reality TV show? I'm like, no, definitely not. But, you know, maybe secretly you are kind of like interested watching it. Uh, and so I just was thinking that, you know, kind of top of mind. But um, to answer your question, you know, Rex, I consider it all because you remember I started off like many of you, a young kid getting into, you know, the space really with a ton of innocence and a lot of fervor um, and really just the love of baseball, not necessarily the cards, or at least for me, that's how it started. And so, you know, you, you brought up something interesting and I'm not saying there's like a right or a wrong. There's really just opinion. Exactly. Um, but I definitely do not rank, for example, destroying a Babe Ruth flannel as the same thing as opening a 1952 Topps pack. Because to be clear, a 1952 Topps pack, as issued, was intended to be opened. A Babe Ruth jersey, I'm sure card companies would argue otherwise, it was never intended to be cut up. Um, and so, you know, candidly, if I get enough money, God willing, one day, I don't have any wood around here, I'm going to buy them all. I guess I'll fight Nat Turner for the balance of what's out there, because I know he's a big collector of them. And yes. really, maybe like once a year or twice a year, I'll have an unopened holiday and I'll try real hard with government to get something designated. And I probably would keep most of it closed. But the reality of it is, I don't have an infinite amount of money. I still collect. I do appreciate the space. And for those that are just kind of like tuning in and don't really know me from like, let's say 20 years ago, my first job after I graduated Rutgers College with a degree in management, I graduated the School of Business. I'm like, oh, Mark Murphy, the baseball card kid. Remember that name, yes, Rex? I do. Yeah, I took my four-year college degree. I paid 50-something thousand dollars for with my own money, buying and selling, working at Johnson & Johnson. And I decided to try to make a go of it. And I ended up in unopened. So believe me, more than most, I have such an appreciation for it. And the way that Vintage Breaks really started was if you rewind at the National, I was just so happy and proud to be taking a vintage pack that I really looked at almost like a bottle of wine that you maybe want to taste, but it also has value, but it's old and it's vintage and you appreciate it. And I'm like, oh my God, these cards are amazing. Like opening up a 62 Tops baseball cello pack, the cards are unreal. There's no gum stains. They literally shine. And if you're a card collector like myself, Rex, not just an unopened collector, it makes your mind like spin. Oh yeah. yeah. So 
that's why I'm having, I think, a hard time composing myself now because really there is no right or wrong. Like I said, if I had all the money in the world, I would buy it all up and I would eke it out, but like in a way to have fun and just open it for the sake of enjoying it and collecting it. Um, but that's not what I do. And so I definitely understand there's two or three sides to write to every story. Um, but for the moment, we're always on the hunt for something really exciting and different, like a 57 Tops basketball pack. But, you know, that'd be a little bit too much per spot. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I completely understand. Like I said, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't hate anybody that or fault anybody that opens the packs. Um, like I said, for me personally, it would be the choice to, you know, keep it unopened as a, as a relic. Um, and I also understand, of course, you're in business, you're there to make money. It's all part of it. Um, you know, and I, I do appreciate that, that part of the hobby. And, uh, the one thing I do like about it is the excitement. I mean, the excitement is it's awesome when you open a rare pack like that. I mean, like I said, I can't look away. I can't look away. Um, you know, I, I've watched your video online of the 55 Bowman break where you pulled the mantle. I think it was at a national, um, you know, and some of the other ones, uh, you know, that, that, that you've posted online over the years. I mean, it's amazing stuff. You know, I, you know, I can't, uh, you know, I can't say anything bad about that. Well, you know, you, you brought up the 55 Bowman pack. So ironically, the national will be in Cleveland this summer. Yeah. And so of course, you know, we're hoping to do something really special, uh, there, you know, in honor of us pulling it years ago. But you brought up something really interesting is that there's the historical nature. You're right. You may not get anything, but you might just get the hobby's best copy of the key card. And yes, it might be a long shot, but can you imagine opening up one of the few 1957 tops basketball wax packs that are really, you know, still left and there can't be any more than a handful yeah. and pulling. Maybe you don't get a nine, you get an eight, but it's a well-centered with incredible gloss, Bill Russell. So all of a sudden what's happening is you're taking the unopened market of collectors and you're kind of crossing that bridge, you know, with the set collectors and the rookie card collectors. And so for me, I just love cards so much. It's really hard for me to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take one of these, call it nine packs that are left in the world. But if you said to me it was the last one, oh my goodness, I would certainly be torn and I would try to put it, you know, away where I couldn't touch it, you know, for any amount of time or, or, or effort. And I think that's kind of my perspective. It's, you know, like you talk about the Bill Russell rookie card. I don't know how many eights are out there or 8.5s. I, I know there's more of those than there are the packs of the cards. So that, that, that's kind of where I, you, you know, you get on that fine line of, boy, only one or two packs of these exist. Is it worth opening it? And like I said, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once it's opened. Um, yes, but the big like, mantle that we pulled was the Pop 3 PSA 9. I believe there's yeah. no 10s. And the yeah. last nine sold for like 300000 or so, which is well yeah. more than the pack would ever sell for. And believe me, I'm not suggesting that it's likely this would happen. Yeah. But you're talking about, right, we're in, a, we're in the entertainment business also now. I didn't think about that 20 years ago, uh, of course. But, but today, I mean, the idea of like, I don't know, filling a stadium and like having a decade break from the 30s to the 2000s, yeah, it gets me crazy. <laughs> I agree. Now, like I said, I, I, I would never tell anybody what to do with their collection or their money. So it's like, and I, I do have an appreciation for it. I mean, it, it's something that I know that we talk about a lot in the vintage wax community. It's like that fine line of what do you open? What do you save? You know, what's, what's more near and dear to people? You know, is it the unopened pack? Is it the cards? It's that constant back and forth tearing at the, you know, uh, at, you know, just trying to, reconcile it in your head, you know, what, like what, what, what's best, you know, do I really want to open this or do I want to, 
um, you know, just enjoy it for the pack that it is. Absolutely. Once they're once they're opened, like you said, you can't put the tooth you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But you do have you you have to be very careful because the wrapper is now the remnant that is also a collectible. So you have you have something to salvage from opening those packs. But yeah, if there's only a couple of a certain pack left and they're now opened, those are gone. I want to bring up a comment here from Henry. Thought this was pretty good. He says, uh, "Sorry guys, but I've got a bunch of vintage packs. I don't plan on leaving this life without opening almost all of them." Like you said. The nostalgia in ripping them is what it's all about. And I've said it before myself that, you know, with my unopened pack collection that, you know, I'm not going to open them yet, but maybe on my deathbed in 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it might be, maybe I'll open them then. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. We'll yeah. have to see. It's a fun topic, though, definitely. Uh, and I want to ask, uh, Leighton, do you have any, I mean, and I was having some technical difficulties there for a moment, so I was in and out, but... I know you guys were chatting nicely. Leighton, did you have any other, any questions or topics you wanted to raise with Rex? Uh, sure. So, you know, one is related to the vending machines because, you know, as a professional card treasure hunter, there has been some really nice finds that have been uncovered in card vending machines. Hmm. So I'm curious, in your travels, have either you or anyone close to you that you know experienced even a just a good find of fresh vending cards while you were actually just looking for the machines themselves. Oh, for me personally, it's definitely a no. Um, I've never come across any of the cards like that in that in that state, um, which would be amazing because if anybody out there has ever opened a vintage vending box that's been untouched. It's pretty. It's a pretty amazing sight to look at. The cards are packed like brick tight. Rex, oh my goodness, you had me packed like a brick and open a vending box. You had me there. Yeah, just I mean, it's 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 literally from the day they left the tops floor, they've sat in this box unopened, packed solid, packed tight, super sharp corners. Um, vending stuff is amazing, and it's tough to find. And yeah, there have been some finds out there, but. Um, Personally, no, I've I've never um, experienced any anything like that in my hunt for the for the machines. Unfortunately, although I will say that um, my 1952 machine here, um, when I purchased it, it did have um, I, I the the back was really kind of it, it was propped it was it was really on there tight. I had to like um, I, I found the key that worked for it, and I finally got it open and got to investigate the inside of the machine. And underneath the, the mechanisms in there, the coin mechanisms down here on the bottom, um, I did find a handful of cards, uh, maybe like six cards in there. They weren't in great shape, but they were um, early 50s cards. And I think maybe um, like a Bowman 54 or something like that card in there. So that was a super cool little surprise to back open the machine and you know see that in there. One second. But yeah, that, that's about as close as I've come. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I appreciate you sharing with me. Uh, you know, I'm certainly hoping for a big vending find. Um, Jeremy, can you hear us okay? Because I know you have some technical difficulties. Well, uh, yeah, well I Rex, got I got another right question. Thanks. Okay, great. So, Rex, I wanted to bring up something that's interesting, which is, you know, I guess kind of like an interesting topic if you will, do you want to talk in your Facebook group, which I'm familiar with, 
And, you know, some of these packs that are really rare that we've been offered through the last, let's say, number of years through Vintage Breaks, you know, they tend to be the ones where someone gets a six on a pack and they're like, you know, it's got a small corner rip. I don't really want it for my collection, but it might make a great candidate to open. And so what I wanted to really just share both with you, Jeremy, and really the audience is that, you know, if you don't know this little secret, I'm going to share it now. Just because a pack is graded low, if you investigate it and start to get some experience with it, it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with the contents, i.e. the cards in the pack. And so certainly that's one of the ways we've been able to offer some interesting and more cost-effective vintage packs to our community recs. But also what I was going to say is if you, the collector who's watching this, either wants to find something a little bit more affordable, not feel so guilty, take a shot. Go on eBay. See if you can find a pack rated 3, 4, or 5. Once again, no promises for me. I'm just saying that I would tell you more often than not, I've seen the cards, and once again, depends where the centering gods are, you know, that particular day as you open those, you know, treasures. Um, But as far as the actual condition, unless the corner, like, was banged and you can see, like, surrounding, you know, because you can use a loop, right? I've done that. If I see where on the corners of these packs that are graded wrecks, I will take out a loop. And if I can see, people are like, you know, why don't you want to buy it late? I'm like, because I can see where on the corners. You know, yeah. I want to sell fresh cards to, to, to the people that are participating. Um, but I just wanted to pass that along because it really does present a wonderful opportunity either to just own the pack at a discount or yeah. if you're someone who wanted to take a chance and roll the dice, so to speak, it's also an effective way to get kind of a cheaper entry point, uh, you know, to potentially an unopened treasure uh, to rip yeah. open. Yeah, the only, the only thing I would say on that too is Probably the one red flag that you don't want to see is um, like water damage, like mildew, because that, that is an indication that the stuff inside is not going to be great. In, in, great, in great kind of good shape. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 1955 tops packs are notorious. We've been yes. offered, honestly, I would say in excess of like a half dozen of them in the last five years. And we can't buy them because basically they're almost all damaged in some way even the ones at grade five or six yeah from what i can tell there's going to be some sort of issue we just won't open them and i I believe a lot of the mr mint find packs from paris tennessee back in the 80s was a huge find of 1954 55 era bowman and top stuff yes i believe a lot of those suffer from that same uh condition issue a lot of them have some soiling or some moisture damage which that, that that would kind of be a red flag if we're opening the pack as far as you know, finding the cards in a good condition, they're probably stuck together. The gum's probably in a really bad condition and leaked, you know, um, you know, uh, got a lot of residue on the cards. So yeah, it's kind of a red flag in, in that, in that case. Agreed. All right. Good, good stuff. This is, I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> Can you, yeah. We heard I can you hear you. Second, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. I think he just went out again. Yeah, I, I can hear you, but you were going in and out a little bit. How about now? I'm coming back this way now. Yeah, I'm back I got you way. there. Well, loud, loud and clear now. Okay. You know, I wonder if the unopened gods 
heard Jeremy talking about the notion of opening some of his packs on his deathbed. And they're like <laughs> shorting out his electricity because they're like, Jeremy, open the packs, buddy. Open the packs now. Just joking around, Jeremy. Uh, let us know if you need us to, you know, chat further. Hope all is well over there, especially with the unopen packs. You know, I, think, I think I'm back with you guys. I feel like I'm back. I got you. I, I apologize. I was. I, I went into my phone. I'm back here on the computer now. We'll see. I'll run. I'll go back. There was a big delay. In any event, thank you guys for carrying the show while I was dealing with that. Interesting stuff. Leighton, uh, thank you as always for, for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge and expertise. Uh, you guys hit it off. That's for sure. I hope you guys see each other's show next time and can have a nice conversation and share some tales with each other. Uh, guys, thanks, Leighton. And um, I'll just let everybody know to follow Leighton on Instagram, Leighton underscore Sheldon, just underscore collect. His podcast, Trading Card Therapy, just did episode number 51. I believe that was this morning. Leighton, I, I jumped in and said hello myself. So uh, thank you, as always, for coming on. If there's anything else you'd like to mention, please take a moment and do so. Uh, well, listen, I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, I really appreciate being on the show. And tonight, Rex, I tuned in again before because uh, I wanted to hear some of the conversation with you and Jeremy. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I wish you the best with your collection. And if there's Thank anything you. in particular that you're looking for, you know, drop me a line or a DM, and I'll keep an eye out in my travels. Yeah, I, uh, like I said, I see you at some of the shows, so I, I always stop by your booth, and I'll be sure to uh, say, say a hello next time I see you. Hey, listen, if we can rescue just one of these, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're on sure, a mission yeah. now. We're going to work together. I'm going to try sure. to come from the other <laughs> side. We're going to rescue a couple of these you know, that we want to see not open, and we'll see what we can do. Rex, it was great chatting with you. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks, Leighton. Thanks, Leighton. Thanks, Leighton. Take care, man. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's get back to it. And uh, hopefully my, my, my issues are, are behind me here right now, but uh, we'll have to see uh, about that. So I want to – let's go back now, uh, Rex. There was a question that came in. Uh, earlier from Craig's cards. He asked us, are we seeing more, less or more fake packs nowadays? And to me, the issue is resealed, right? It's like these wax packs are, they're delicate, they're fragile, and you can open one up. And I know that people have attempted to seal them back together. I've heard some crazy stories. What are your thoughts? What is the community feeling about these right now? How risky is it out there? Uh, it, it, it's always been very risky. Um with the packs, because as you, as you said, especially with the wax packs, the, I mean, the, uh, the, the way they're sealed, they're fairly easy to crack open and reseal, but they're, they're, um, I think we're going to get into it later. I'm going to talk about ways to kind of de detect, um, pack tampering. Um, so we can, we can do that whenever you'd like, but, um, let's get into it right now. Let's get into it right yeah. now. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's always been risky, but, um, to, to your first question, um, I, I think it's less risky right now. Um, because we've got people in the industry like Steve Hart um, who are authenticating these, who are super reliable. I mean, it, that, that guy is grading thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of packs a year that are going through his hands. And yes, has he made some mistakes in the past? <clears throat> yes, he's made a few. But believe me, when you put it in a percentile, he's batting like 99.99. <clears throat> okay, so he, he knows what he's doing. <clears throat> he's a great asset to the hobby to the unopened community. Um, so I think if you're, if you're smart and you know what to look for, um, it, it's less risky because we've got a company like PSA with Steve Hart out there. Um, you know, who's, who's authenticating these now, now if you're going to go on eBay, 
and roll the dice and buy an unauthenticated pack from a seller you don't know, I mean, you're really rolling the dice because I would say it's less than 50-50 chance that it's a good pack. Probably far, probably far less than that. Let's. Uh, I want to just talk about Steve Hart and BBCE or Baseball Card Exchange who are known for wrapping uh, products, especially like unopened boxes in their wrapping to certify their authenticity. And, you know, whether it was a year or two ago, he had certified a case of Pokemon and it ended up having GI Joe cards inside. And I think, I think that's a, that's a, a well-known story out there. I might, my, my question for you is how, you know, you just said that, you know, he's, you know, just like anybody there, you're going to, you're not going to bat a thousand, but did that impact the reputation or the reliability within the unopened community of BBCE wrapped product. And I do want to also say that like that wasn't a sports card product. That was something that he wasn't as familiar with. So how did that impact uh, the community? For, for people that have been in the whack unopened community, people that know Steve know his, know, know his authentication skills. It, it was not an issue. <clears throat> I think we, like you said, we all understand you're going to make mistakes. I, I think we all agreed that he probably stepped out of his comfort zone in authenticating. I think it was a Pokemon case or something like that. <clears throat> um, you know, and, and being a, a, a case, which is essentially a cardboard box with, you know, with some tape on it is I think far, far more difficult to authenticate than maybe a, you know, a box or a pack. Um, I, so yeah, I, I think, I think he took a leap out on a, you know, out on a ledge and, uh, you know, authenticated something that he probably didn't have the greatest of familiarity with. And I I feel bad for him because if you know this guy, he is just such an awesome guy. I mean, he's, he really works hard to, you know, to, um, to make the pack collecting safe for us collectors. He does it at a very reasonable price. Now I'm not talking about through PSA. That's, a separate process he authenticates through, but through his own uh, baseball card exchange wrapping that he does of boxes. And I mean, he's like, he's, he's pouring through thousands of packs and he works, I mean, endless hours. Um, he, he doesn't know me from Adam and, you know, I, I've, I've walked up to his booth at the national when that's like his super busiest times of the year. He's flying around like a madman and doing authentications on site. And he takes time out of his, day he'll come up to me i'll ask him to look at a few packs for me and give me his thoughts he's done it he doesn't charge anything for that like he's just, he's just that kind of guy he's a super nice guy and i i felt really bad to see um you know to see the, some of the blowback from the pokemon stuff because i don't i don't think he really deserved all that ridicule although you know he put his name on something and and that's i guess what goes along with it but yeah yeah it was a tough situation for sure didn't didn't look very good, but um, you know he's got people in his corner, of course. And at the end of the day, is there anyone out there who's better at authenticating unopened packs and boxes? I, I asked that question that that wasn't rhetorical. I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe guys in the in the Facebook group are as good as he would be. I don't know, but he's been you know putting his name on it for the longest, so he's the go to guy. And the fact that you know PSA uses him to authenticate packs. They grade them. My understanding is PSA grades the pack, but they don't grade it until Steve has authenticated that it is untampered. Uh, interesting comment I just saw come in here that I want to I want to I want to bring it up. Uh, uh, 
Hold on. Let me find this because this was a good one. Darn it. Okay. I'm, I, okay. If the, the question was ba- basically said that, you know, okay, he's, he's batting 99.99%, but most of them are unopened. So how do we really know what he's batting? Do you know what I mean? Like, I do. Is it based on, uh, yeah. on, 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 I mean, is it, yeah. Yeah. Can you address it, it, that? It's a, it's a fair question. Um, I, but I will, the only, the only way we can judge it is on the stuff that's been opened. You know, I mean, right. and the stuff that's been opened, you can watch all the breaks. You can watch Leighton, you know, who was just on, you know, he breaks authenticated packs. You know, he's never had a, you know, a flub on his channel or some big controversy. Um, you know, so that that's really all we can go on is what we've seen. And, you know, people that have opened packs that he's authenticated and looked at. And that, yeah, I mean, it's a fair question, but that's all we have to go on. Well, let's see. Some I, I will say to people that are. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I do agree with you. I think, I think that he is probably the guy, the best one in the hobby. Although, like I said, there are guys in the vintage wax and packs group that I really trust who have a great eye. Um, like uh, Kurt Christensen, I'll mention him. He, he's, um, he has um, an authentication uh, brand that he runs called ripping vintage packs. Kurt's another great resource in the hobby, very much like Steve Hart. Um, you know, takes the time out to help the collector. Um, he, he authenticates boxes. Um, you know, he's not doing individual packs. Um, he's not doing super old stuff right now, uh, like 50s, 60s stuff. He kind of leaves that to PSA and Steve. But I've had him look at stuff for me and help me out with vintage stuff. And he's an amazing resource. So there's guys like him out there that I think are super trustworthy and know their stuff. But, you know, Steve Steve's probably the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of comments did come in here. Uh, Andrew D says it was a non-issue for me. The guy has so much knowledge and understanding of packs, a true asset to the hobby. Uh, Henry here, Henry made the comment. Uh, BBC is the best there is out there. Steve Hart is an amazing guy. I met Steve and talk, talked with him at length. I would trust him over anyone in the business. And that's the one thing, like, is there anybody else? So you know, a lot of people might have been very turned off by that whole Pokemon G.I. Joe incident. And I think that's understandable to a point. But without, you know, th- then is there no industry at all? Or is there no reliability on anything unopened? Like, does the whole, does that whole niche within the hobby have to go away? Because Steve Hart incorrectly authenticated a Pokemon box, which which can which is based on the tape around. A, I mean, it was it seemed so elementary. And yeah, that was a big mistake he made. But does that does that compromise his ability to, with some some level of accuracy, authenticate an unopened wax pack, which is different than an unopened cardboard box around a bunch of, of boxes that have packs in them? So you know that's kind of where what I I wonder about uh, when, when it comes to that card vibe here says Steve knows his unopened boxes and packs. I trust his opinion. He's also very good at getting back to you if you have any questions yeah. and. Yes. Like, like a lot of you guys, like I've met him too at the national several times. I've bought graded packs from him. And, uh, you know, most of my, most of my unopened pack collection has come through him. So, you know, I was kind of a little shaken to see, to see his reputation take a bit of a hit, but at the same time, I don't know how reasonable it really is. Although I would never use him to authenticate an unopened case of Pokemon, but I think, you know, you'd be silly 
maybe to do that at this point or or now maybe he's the best at it because he's he's the one who's who, who felt it the most i don't know i don't know but um okay all right let's uh so you know i do really like the topic that we talked about with Leighton about you open up one of these packs are we destroying a historical relic and but at the same time it's that nostalgia feature and you know like i've got you know my unopened pack collection you know here's just a, a little stack of them and you know one day i think i'd like to open them but i might at that point in time say no i'm going to put preserving these these historical relics ahead of my own desire to open them and smell the cards and crumble the gum in my hands because it won't be chewable <laughs> at that point and maybe i will not open them i don't know what i'm going to do yet at that point but i think it's a really interesting thing to to as we think about as unopened pack collectors but to me, Rex, it's not about what's inside the pack. It just isn't. The, that, yeah, the I think that's the point. It's not. It's not. It's about it's about the the artwork, you know, the artwork on the pack. It's about the yeah. pack itself in its original form. I just I just love these things and they they display so nicely. You don't really have to worry about the sunlight, you know, drowning it out or fading the border or the autograph or whatever it might be. They display so well. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you talk about the nostalgia. I mean, for me, seeing that pack is this nostalgia, almost more than seeing the cards. I've seen the cards. I've seen the cards a million times. You can go to any card show and see 1975 Topps cards stacked up. And, you know, as cool as it is, it doesn't really do much for me. But when I look at, you know, those, you know, the graphics on the packs and, you know, just, I mean, just, it's, it's just cool. I mean, it's like it reminds you of, you know, just being a kid and holding that pack in your hand. Um, and I think that's a completely different feeling than holding a card up. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, there, there's the nostalgia part of it. But I, for me, the packs are just as nostalgic, as, or if not more, than the actual cards. Look at this one. 80 tops basketball with the, with the yeah. panels. I mean, I opened these as a kid, you know, at the corner store. And uh, to have a pack still is is just such a cool a cool item. Ah, there we go. We're we're pack we're, we're pack bros on the eighty tops basketball. They're twins. Go. I got a Larry Bird showing on the back of this one. Oh, so that's <laughs> another that's another thing that's really sort of important in the unopened pack world oh, yeah. is is there a star player or an important rookie showing through? And to be honest, Rex, for me, I prefer without because it saves you a lot of money. Like a like yeah. an eighty six Fleer basketball pack, like this one right here that I have. If Michael Jordan was showing through the front of the back, this would be very expensive. Much more. It's already expensive. Be more expensive than it is without it. I, I don't really care if Jordan's in here. I want the pack. Of course, I'd love it if he was. Don't get me wrong. Oh but yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I want the relic as it is. And if Jordan was showing, I would have had to pay a lot more than I did for this one here. So I, I, I like that. How important is it to you as a collector to have packs with stars or important rookie cards showing on the front of the back? Um, well, I, I love the stars showing packs, but it's at the end of the day, it's not that important to me as just having, you know, the pack or a pack from a year. Um, if I find one with a star showing on it and it's a reasonable price or, um, you know, obviously that's what I want, but, um, you know, like you said, you gotta, you gotta pay up, <laughs> you know, if you get, you get a big card on the front of a pack, um, I mean, it really significantly ups the value. Like. Um, I've got, like, I, I actually have, I think four, four of these now. Cause I love Hank Aaron, um, 1975 top cello packs. 
with him on the front. So, I mean, you could pick up a 75 cello with nobody on the front of it for five to 600 bucks. Um, I mean, these Hank packs, I, I'm not sure exactly what they're going for now, but if I had to guess, they're probably up there around 2,500, 3,000 maybe um, in that, in that arena. So it's, it's a big jump, you know, it's a big jump and Hank, you know, it's not a rookie card. This is next to his last year. And what about, so, okay. So now let's about opening the packs again, back to that for a second. Like these are, are packs worth more than the cards inside? Like generally speaking, I, I, you know, an 86 Fleer with, you know, that could contain Michael Jordan, a 79 Opeachy hockey could contain Wayne Gretzky, 75 tops baseball, George Brett, Robin Yount, among others. Uh, you know, even like my, maybe my most valuable unopened pack is my 61 Fleer basketball pack. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe there's a Wilt Chamberlain or a Jerry West or an, or, or an Oscar Robertson in here, Elgin Baylor. I don't know. I don't really care. Like, it'd be cool. But is the pack worth more than the cards inside? Generally speaking, well, I would say generally speaking, yes, because typically the odds are pretty stacked against you when you open a vintage pack, which is one of the reasons I don't like open them, op opening them at all, because your odds are just so stacked against you. I mean, when you're talking about vintage packs in the 60s, 70s, 50s, there's usually five cards in a pack. OK, so the top card is going to have a gum stain on it. The bottom card is going to have a wax stain on it. And then you've got three cards in the middle. Okay. And, you know, if you're talking about a set of, let's just say baseball in the sixties, I don't know, most of them had five, 600 cards in them. Um, yes. Now sometimes they're broken into series and things like that, of course. But I mean, e even with that, I mean, your odds are so long of pulling that one star card that might be in there or two star, you know, two major star cards that might, that might make the pack actually worth less than the cards in it. Um, and, and th that's to say nothing of, those three cards in the center, what's the centering going to be like? You know, what's the, um, you know, the clarity of the card going to be like? I mean, quality control of tops in the 60s and 70s was not was not great. You know, you're not you're not getting perfectly cut cards every time like you are in a modern pack. So to me, the odds are just so long and astronomical that you are actually going to pull a major star card in high grade that generally speaking, the pack itself is going to be worth more than the contents, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it does. And then I, I guess you also have to look at the odds, right? Like on an 86 Fleer basketball pack, there's only, what, 132 cards in the set? And you're Correct. getting you're getting 12 you're getting you're getting 12 cards and one sticker. So sticker wise, you've got a one in like 13 chance of hitting the Jordan and cards wise, you've got a 12 in 132. Yeah. One in eleven or so, not that bad. Like we've seen, yeah. there are my can or you open up a pack of seventy nine Opeachy, where you're getting how many how many cards are in, in that pack? Uh, I got a pack of fourteen cards in the seventy nine Opeachy pack out of a three hundred ninety six card set. I don't know those odds off the top of my head, but one in thirty or something like that. So a lot tougher. So I think you have to consider pack odds as well yeah. right when you're if you're yeah. if you are yeah. going to open it trying to hit the big card which is more in the wheelhouse of like vintage breaks or anybody who's who's opening up a, a big pack 
for the entertainment aspect of it and of course the gamble for the for the people that buy into it as well make sense yeah i think you nailed it because um typically basketball and hockey packs are going to give you the greatest odds because they have the smallest sets like your 61 fleer pack um it's it's not a big set <laughs> um i don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head but it's small probably smaller than the 86 fleer set um and there's a ton of ton of stars and rookies in there so that is actually one of the vintage packs that I think you may say it might be worth opening because I think there's enough big hits in it that it, it might be worth it worth the chance. Yeah. I mean, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, um, you know, there's Bill Russell's in there. Um, all right. Don't do that, Jeremy. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to lose. <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, but you're right though. Um, you know, that, that is one of the things you should weigh when you're thinking about opening a pack is the odds. And like I said, typically basketball, hockey give you the best odds because, you know, the, there's the fewest number of cards in the set. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I made myself nervous just <laughs> holding my scissors up to the 61 Fleer basketball pack. Let's talk about the grading companies. We've talked about the authenticator. They're really the only one who I think has, you know, made a business out of it being Steve Hart and Baseball Card Exchange for, with, with, with all the hair on that that there is. And I've seen some back and forth in, in the chat. I'm not going to address that anymore. We all know that story. Tons of content out there for anyone who's interested. We're going to talk about what we love, which are, are these packs and these items themselves. Um, the grading those, uh, Rex, because the one thing I really like about this PS, and this is the older PSA generation slab. I don't have any of the new ones. I noticed someone did put a comment saying that the new ones are putting some pressure on the packs in some cases. So I'm glad I don't have any yeah. of those slabs in my collection. I only have these old ones. And now if I want to add any more, I'm going to probably have to get the new slab, which We'll see how it, we'll see what I decide. But can you just outside of that issue for now, can you explain to us like I've got my 61 Fleer is in a GAI holder. Yeah. Now, can you take us through the history of grading these things? And number one, who is GAI? Like I know, but just for everybody else, tell us a bit, a bit of the history of GAI grading packs. Were they first? When did PSA start? Is one company trusted over the other? And like, this is a really flimsy holder, guys. This is not, this is semi-rigid. It's not, it's very fragile still. Like I literally, I, I store this in, in, in lots of bubble wrap and I, I take good care of this because unlike, unlike the PSA slab, I mean, this thing is, this thing is solid. Whereas this is, this is soft. So can you just sort of take us through the, the grading landscape? Well, so first, just to touch on the, the slabs that you're talking about um, before I get into the grading companies. Um, so actually, that GAI slab, even though it is, like you said, it's got a little bit of bend to it, a little bit of like flexibility. I'm not going to super bend this, but it's got some bend to it. Um, they actually did a great job of preserving the packs um, because it gives it just enough movement that it, they're not being pressed or squeezed. Um and, and it's a good seal on the pack. You can't, you can't like, you can't open this and reseal it in any way. Um, it's got a good sonic seal on it. Um, it. They display really nicely. They got a nice flip on them. Um, so they're actually a pretty good holder, even though they're semi-rigid. Um, the problem with the PSA packs that you mentioned, <clears throat> and I have experienced this firsthand because I submitted packs at the national this past August, um, some wax packs. And, they had super tight, flat seals on the back. These were wax packs. I got them back um, in the holders, and on the backs, you can see some crumpling where the um, 
where the seals were. And I was super disappointed to see that. Now the pack's in the holder. It's been authenticated, but I, I was very disappointed to see the pack, th these new, like thicker holders and they're, they're, they're a lot bigger. Um, but you know, even on this one, I'm sure it's not going to pick it up probably great on the camera, but, um, you know, that it, it basically lift lifts the seal, um, on them because it, it, when I submitted them, they're super flat, like, like no problems. And now when you look at them, there's some like crumpling on the edge, a little bit of waviness here in the seal. Um, yeah, so it's, it, so I'm not submitting any more packs at least until they figure this out. Um, so that, so that, 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 that's to address the holder stuff that you brought up. And I was showing, um, showing you also, so the, the, this, this looks like, uh, two packs. It's actually one. This is, uh, this, and this is a pack I had done at the national, which thankfully, um, Thankfully, the seals on this one seem to hold up really nice. And I don't know if it's what because pack? it's in this. What is that pack, pack? Rick? Oh, this is, is a 1955 pack? Bowman five cent baseball. Very cool. Beautiful. And I actually have two. I have two of them, actually. Oh, nice. And I'll talk about um, what are the grades? They're very low grade. They're uh, a three and a one because they have some edge damage to them um, around the edges. So they they graded really low, which I expected, but. That just to have them graded and authenticated is huge because I think there's only, I think there's less than, I want to say like 50 some packs in the population report of the five cent packs. So they're, they're pretty tough to find in any grade. So I was happy just to have them authenticated and sealed up. And thankfully that holder held the seals pretty well um, mm -hmm. on those packs. But uh if you want me, I can dive into the grading companies if you want to. Yeah, talk let's, about let's hear it. Let's hear about that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So yeah, GAI was actually, they were really the first ones <clears throat> to start grading packs in the early 2000s. Um, <clears throat> the early the early labels, the, the what we call like the silver labels, the silver flips, like this. Yeah. Um, the, these are generally pretty reliable um, as far as being good, authentic, packs they were authenticated properly um if you look at the serial numbers on those packs mm -hmm. what you want to look for is it's between uh i think it's like 101 and or, or 100 and 102 the first three numbers of the certs if you've got those three numbers on there it's probably a good pack they had really good graders back then um i believe mark I murphy who layton mentioned yeah, uh, was one of the graders back then. Go ahead, I'll let you. I, I, well, I'm just, you're, as, I don't know this, so as you're saying it, I'm literally looking at the serial uh -huh. number, and mine is 102. So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy if if that if that means that this is better, you know, it's more far reliable. more reliable. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a nice win for me on this pack. I had no idea. It's far more reliable. Yeah, even if you get to the one of the threes, most of those are are pretty good. But you want to look, you know, look closer, um, and then. They flipped. I don't think I have one here in front of me, but at some point there, there was uh, they changed ownership in the company around maybe 2005 or something. They changed ownership. Um, the flips are a little less reliable. When you see they're they're like white. Uh, they're they become like white flips compared to the silver flip or silver you know labels. <clears throat> so if you see that white label, they're a little less reliable. That doesn't mean they're a bad pack. They still had some good authenticators then but they're less reliable. 
Um, if you're trying to get the best value for your money, I would look for those early silver silver label uh, slabs from GAI. Uh, they, they were a good company for a while. And they even, um, what I like is, let me show you something here. They, they used to encapsulate um, the actual display boxes, which is cool. And they're very lightweight, very much a little flimsy, just like the pack holders, but it was really cool. And nobody else really does that now. Uh, they're nice display piece and you're not going to hurt the box. So um, it's pretty cool. But yeah, GAI early on, like you know, like I said, Mark Murphy, who was one of the sort of call him the godfather of unopened. Um, he he was involved with GAI back then. And um yeah, so if you if you're looking for stuff, try and look for those early silver labels um as being more reliable. And then they went bankrupt around I think 2008 or nine, and they've been out of business ever since. And I think actually one of the guys you had on your show uh, not too long ago. Um, oh, his name's uh, slipping my mind. M Mike, Mike Baker. Yeah. Um, him and I think Damien were, were involved with GAI for a while. And both of them, uh, Damien, I know, at least Damien, I'm not sure about um, Mike, but I know Damien uh, knows a lot about Unopen and he was doing authenticating for them for a while too. So take that for what it's worth. So GAI great, has been grading packs for a while. Was there overlap between GAI, silver label GAI, let's say, and PSA? And uh, like, at what point did PSA become? And are they are they the leader in in graded wax in grading wax packs right now? Yeah, so uh, there might there might have been a little bit of crossover because I think PSA started grading packs around 2006 when they brought Steve Hart on, you know, as their authenticator. Um, so there may have been a little bit of crossover there, not much, you know, between those silver label GAIs and um, when PSA started. Um, but I mean, right now, PSA is is the leader because they are they are the only one. They're the only one doing it. SGC doesn't do it. Beckett doesn't do it. Um, th there's really no other third parties doing it. There's a few guys, like I said, that are wrapping boxes similar to what Steve does through Baseball Card Exchange. But nobody is like slabbing packs and putting their name on it, really. Nobody, at least, that I've seen that I would say is, you know, uh, as reputable as Steve. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're still the, the go-to. And uh, you mentioned it earlier. I'll just mention it real quick. Um, for, for those of you who don't know the process, basically, whenever – this is kind of a problem, too, but I'll talk about that later. Um, wh whenever you submit a pack to PSA, so you're sending it out to California or wherever to PSA – they're packaging it up, shipping it off to Steve, and in, in who is in Indiana, in the state of Indiana. Uh, Steve reviews the packs and authenticates them. There's been a little bit of back and forth as to whether or not he grades the packs. I've always been told he doesn't grade the packs, but then I've also heard that he does maybe put little post-it notes on them with a suggested grade. I don't know how true all that is, but I have seen evidence of that. Um, so. But the bottom line is Steve is the one who every single pack is going through his hands that go to PSA. They are going through his hands. He's reviewing them, authenticating them, puts his seal of approval or you know lack of seal of approval on it, sends it back to PSA. They're slabbing it, sending it back to you. And that's kind of one of the reasons, too, I'm always hesitant to send packs to PSA because of how much transporting they're doing back and forth across the country. Um, but, you know, I mean, 
I think for the most part, they've been okay with that. But um, it's one of the things that give, gives me pause in sending in an expensive pack. But what's your option? Like, what, what, are, what, what are our options if we want to have a pack graded? I mean, for me, I guess the option would be just to only buy a pack that is a slab. And the slabs, like the PSA slab, well, the old slab, is just is just so awesome like i really like that slab a lot mm -hmm. so for me buying a slab pack to add to my collection for for display purposes and just collectability purposes makes a lot of sense we don't really have any other option unless we're doing a custom display for our for our own unopened pack and we're not we don't maybe we don't care about getting some third party to authenticate it we know it's good we we've had it since we were a kid or we bought it from somebody that we know who had it since they were a kid or, or found it in a staircase like this 52 Bowman pack that was, I, I read about earlier today. I saw someone posting in the chat as well, a little bit earlier. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. there's right. That's really your only option. If you have, if you find an ungraded pack is to have it go through all that travel to go to send it to California. They send it to Indiana, back <laughs> to California and back to you. A lot of miles going on these. Is that the only option? Yeah, kind of. And I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that's how it is. And I, I personally have never submitted a pack through the mail. I've only dropped off at PSA when they were at like the national or another show on site. You know, it's not, a, it's not a huge difference. I mean, it's basically one less stop, but at least I've got that peace of mind that it was in my hands. I handed it to the guy at PSA. He hands me a receipt. Now it's on them. You know, they insure the stuff and it, it's not my burden anymore. I know they've received it. And it takes one less step out of the travel. So you know, if you go to if you go to shows in your area where PSA is on site or at the national, I think that's a great opportunity uh, to do it. They they don't they don't do packs on site, unfortunately, like they do cards. So it's still got to go through all the travel. But it, like you said, it, it's kind of the only option. And lately, what? a lot of us a lot of us are taking the, the the stand that you mentioned in that because the holders have been damaging the backs of the packs. We're kind of like, I'm okay with this pack being out of a whole out of the out of the holder because I know it's good, and I'm okay with it, and I'll wait until they figure out their issues. Yeah, <clears throat> what can you tell us about like how is an unopened pack authenticated? What is the, what, how do we know? How do you detect tampering? If you are if you are somebody who's listening or watching this right now, and you're going to go to a an antique shop or, or, or a flea market, and you're going to find an unopened pack of something from whenever, you know, seventies or the eighties, let's say a wax pack, not a foil pack or a, but a wax pack. Like what can you look for to try and tell if the card has been, if the packs have been searched? Yeah. So, th so there's a bunch of things you want to look for. And um, so I'm going to just, I'll use an 85 hockey pack here uh, to kind of just try to try to illustrate some of it. So one of the biggest things you want to look for is what we call a ro roller mark. Uh, and the, ro the roller mark, essentially what that is, at the Topps factory, they had like a, um, it was basically probably a metal roller, uh, a hot roller that would come right across the pack, you know, it would roll right across the pack and seal it. And those rollers would leave about an inch and a half mark that goes across the pack just like this straight across the middle of the pack. And when you hold it, it's not always real visible, but when you hold them in the light, you can see it pretty good or you get like a, a good some good lighting, you can see it pretty clearly. 
Um, so you want to look for the roller mark. Sorry, Rex. Have the roller marks held up for decades? Do they still yes. appear? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. But, yeah. I mean, unless the pack's been, you know, in, in sitting in bad conditions or really damaged, uh, typically, yeah, you can still get a good read on them. Um, now, obviously, you know, you start getting older packs, it, it does get tougher, but um, for the most part, you can usually see them on there. <clears throat> um, so, so like I said, the machines always kind of ran across this way over the top fold. So they would run just one way. So if you see any kind of lines going this way, long ways across the pack, um, somebody, you know, somebody may have tried to do some kind of sealing on their own, or if the roller marks don't line up across, they've got these little lines, you know, it's almost like a little railroad track. You know, you want to make sure the lines all line up, you know, from one seal to the, to the other side. You want to make sure those lines all line up perfectly. <clears throat> um, so that's kind of the first thing you look for. Um, the next thing would be these corner folds. Uh, you want these to be like nice 45 degree folds, nice and crisp. You don't want there to be any crackling in the fold. Um, you know, indicating that they've been pulled or turned or twisted. You know, you want very clean, sharp edges, about 45 degrees. Um, you want to look for like odd um, wrinkles or tears or rips in these center parts of the pack. Those are, they, they should be pretty flat. You know, it should be very flat um, and, can you know, conformed, you know, just very flat and uh, leveled out. You don't want to see any, if you're seeing like rips, you know, here in the middle, I mean, it's kind of like an indication that, you know, it may have been pulled apart at some time um, or rips, things like that should not really be there. Um, so th th those are kind of the two major elements that you want to look for. Um, the other things are, um, you know, we want to make sure it's completely flat, you know, that seal there. You don't want to see any tenting, you know, where it's coming up like this and going down. <clears throat> you want to look for a real nice flat seal on the back. Um, I mentioned, you know, no vertical roller marks like this. You want to see them just straight across. Um, if somebody's really bad at resealing a pack and they've used glue or some kind of sealant, sometimes you'll see fingerprints actually in the, in the seals here. So if you see that, that's usually a bad indication that somebody used, <clears throat> used glue or a lot of heat to try and seal a pack, uh, back up. So if you see any fingerprints, that's usually, um, you know, kind of embedded into the, um, into the seal. <clears throat> that's, that's kind of bad. Um, <clears throat> if you've got a bunch of packs from a single box and you stack them up, you know, like this, and you, let's say you pull out one of the, you know, like the corner nine packs out of the box. If it's, if it's a, a factory box or a box that, you know, you know, all the packs were from that original box, the folds should all look really consistent. These little corner folds, when you line them up, they look like every pack looks identical almost. If you're seeing a bunch of different wonky folds and seals, that, that's an indication that there may be some tampering or that packs were kind of all assembled from different boxes over time. Um, so that's another thing to look for. Um, so th th that's basically the, the highlights on the wax packs. But um, if you want, I can touch real quick on the rack packs and cello packs if you want. Uh, let's do uh, in a moment. I want to just go to some comments because we got some some people who also kind of know their stuff in the chat. So I just want to because it corroborates a lot of what you're saying. Even Carvin Chung, who 
you know, as an industry titan says, um, people that reseal packs with heating up the wax, so they often, oftentimes the, the roller marks are gone because they've melted right. that wax that, that the roller marks were, were kind of imprinted within. So that's good to know, Carvin. He says, next check for corners, just like you said, Rex. And then this one, he said, and feel under the seal to feel for glue residue. So an, another maybe potential uh, indicator that there's some funny business going on. Bobby Burrell here says, Tops had more wax on their wrappers than Opeachy did. The roller marks were better embedded on Opeachy packs, comparatively speaking. And then not to do with that, but David Kaplan gives another good point, says one other thing, not an indication of tampering or anything, but if the gum doesn't move around, moisture may have gotten into the pack. Is that is that something that you're aware of, Rex? Yeah, it's a possibility, but not, not always. Because um, like even it's, this 85 pack here, this 85 hockey pack, super crisp and sharp. And the gum is pretty much right where it is. It's like, it's not moving a, a bit, but I, you know, I know this pack is, hasn't been in any kind of damage or, um, you know, hasn't sustained any kind of moisture or anything like that. So it's just the nature of the, you know, you're, you're putting a sugar-based gum product on cardboard over the course of 30, 40 years. Um, you know, sometimes it just sticks a little bit. Yeah. Bob Boozle says, Rex sounds like a CSI investigator explaining these clues. And then El Toro Loco says, centering of the wrappers is another factor. This is something that I'm keenly interested in because I remember comparing a couple packs that I, you know, probably at Steve Hart's booth at the National in 2006 or seven back then. Like, well, which one should I buy? I'm going to buy one of these, which, and then I, it did. For me, it came down to this, you know, in addition to, to like, maybe if there were some tears on the corners, I wanted to minimize that, of course. But it comes down to how well-centered is that artwork on the front of the pack? Because it sometimes it could be, you know, lower down, coming under, coming to the, towards the bottom edge of the pack and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How important is centering of the front artwork to the grade and the, and the desirability of the pack within the community? Uh, but yeah, de- definitely on the desirability. You want a nice, clean, centered uh, wrapper. Um, the um, the authentic- authenticity of the pack is not necessarily determined by an off-center wrapper. Um, there were a lot of miswrapped packs back in the day, and I, actually, it's funny. I have some here in my house, uh, some like eighty-two and eighty-three tops that are one hundred percent good and legitimate. That the wrappers are literally cut off like halfway in between the pack. Like literally, you can see the back of the pack on the front. It's th- because they were like tops miswraps that actually got out into circulation. But but they're good packs. So th- there are some weird. We call them like Frankenstein packs. Kind of you know, they're they're a little bit misshapen and morphed. But they're are they, are they desirable though, or are they just kind of like 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 qualified like miscut where you know they they take big discounts. Yeah. It's kind of just like miscut cards. Some people like them and collect them. They're a cool oddity, something different. But yeah, as far as desirability and grading packs, you would want the nice centered, you know, as pristine as you can get. Dave Kaplan clarifies, says not necessarily water, but high humidity can cause the gum to stick to the back of the card or the back back card is what he's saying. That makes good sense. Vintage card collector says, how does intact versus broken gum impact Mm. the collectability or the value? In your view, Rex, please. Good, good question. Um, yeah, great question. So, as an unopened collector, we always want to have the gum intact. 
Um, it does add to the value of the pack. It adds to the desirability of the pack. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with authenticity of the pack, whether it's broken or not. Um, but I will say that I, I'm not 100% positive about PSA as of today, but I know <clears throat> for a long time in the past, they would not they would not put a pack in a slab if the gum was broken. Um, and that, that had nothing to do with authenticity. What they didn't want happening was that gum tended to shift around and move a lot in the pack and in the slab. And so once, let's say they, they give a pack a, a PSA 9 grade and all that gum slides around for a while and rips open little holes in the packs, which happens quite a bit. I have some like that. Um, it looks really bad because PSA is giving this pack like a nine with rips and tears in it and little pieces of gum floating around in the slab. So I think they will do it now because of the new holders. They feel more comfortable with the pack being secure. But again, that has to do with the squeezing the pack down maybe a little more and causing those flaps to fold on the bottom. So they solve one problem, but created another. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I want here's a question came a while ago, but I wanted to get to this from from Jake Dahl. He says, "Would you consider tobacco pouches as packs with cards still inside?" So we're going back to we're going back to you know the 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 T two o six era, the the early nineteen tens, nineteen o nine through you know the the nineteen teens before these became premiums for candy in the twenties. Yes. Tobacco like cigarette packs and that how. How much does your collecting and the community's collecting of wax packs go all the way back to tobacco and cigarette packs? And yeah. and like and I guess the 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 other question there for me is like, is it sort of is it sort of Rex like modern collectors may eventually go back and become vintage collectors as they sure. go back in time? And like, how does how does your typical unopened pack collector uh, feel about? those early, early issues where they came in cigarette yeah. packs? I mean, to me, I love them. I know a lot of other people do too, because that that's really the start of it. You know, those early like 1900s, even late 1800s when everything came in, um, it was pretty much a tobacco pack. And then it started to get into the candy packs and like Cracker Jack boxes. Um, <clears throat> but I love these things. So this is a Sweet Caporal pack from the T206 era and a Piedmont pack from the T206 era. And these are actually completely intact full packs with the cigarettes in them. Now, they're not they're not unopened because these packs, uh, to be actually considered unopened, they had like a, a, a wax paper or rice paper, you would call it, um, uh, over top of them, like sealing them. Um, so they were actually in like a, a, like a, um, a wrapping um, so when you find those, those are like the true unopened packs. And then you have a, well, let's see, I think this one has it, the full tax. They had like a tax stamp across one side that would seal one side of it too. Um, so the, the Sweet Caporal one is actually fully sealed with the tax stamp. The Piedmont one, I can open and show you it. So if you were in 1909 and opening up this Piedmont cigarette pack, this is what you would have seen. It's basically this little slider insert, which is original. Wow. Flip it down. Your card would be sitting right in there. Huh. And then the pack, the cigarettes were wrapped in foil. I think there's like 10, 10 little cigarettes in there wrapped. 
That's the original foil wrap. That's the original cigarettes. But your card would have been right there. That's so cool. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. That it's is, cool that stuff. Is, I love it. Oh, that is that is so cool. So cool, man. I mean, oh, yeah. I, can, I mean, you can just imagine. Okay, we're like, going to go smart. Yeah, you can just imagine what it would be like, like pulling a Thai cob or something out of This is what it came out of, man. This is, you know, awesome. Yeah. I, I'm even a little nervous that you're handling it, but you know, you you want to show it, and and I'm, I'm grateful that you're you're sharing that with the with the audience. Those that are watching on video, if you're listening to this on podcast, uh, you know, after the fact, you might want to come on to go onto YouTube and have a look at some of these images. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Card Vibe wanted to know: Are you into non-sports, Star Wars, or just sports? I do. I, I love non-sports. I loved it since the '80s. I think it's awesome. I used to collect, you know, the stuff that came out in the 80s, like um, the Go Goonies packs, which are actually quite valuable these days. A Goonies box from 85, I think, is worth about five or 600 bucks these days. Um, but, yeah, I love the non-sport. It's some of my favorite stuff. And I got, like, um, you know, some cool ones I can show you real quick. Uh, Lost in Space, really tough pack. It's probably about a $1,500 pack. Uh, from 1966, 1963 Topped Astronauts. Very nice. <clears throat> which super rare pack. Beautiful. Look at that image. The graphics are just amazing on this stuff. Um, I'll just show you one or two others. That's what's awesome about them. It's, it's... Like, this is one of my all-time favorites. Voyage wow. to the Bottom of the Sea. It's from 1964 Donruss. I mean, look at I just, the graphics are just awesome. The color, the graphics. Um, I'll show you one other one here. Um, my other real favorite is Casper from 1960 Fleer, which I actually have a full box of these with 24 That's packs cool. from 1960 Fleer. Super hard to get, but look how awesome that is. There's only been two. Um, it's awesome. Only two boxes have sold at auction, and they went for uh, close to $10,000, I think over 9000 and those are the only two boxes I have ever seen come up for sale. Um, this is mine here. Oh, but you know, just awesome. I know boxes are awesome. The packs are awesome. Fleer, Fleer Casper, and that's BBCE yeah. wrapped. I can see it is. Yep. So cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah the, the, the boxes uh, that's, themselves are really boxes cool. Are just amazing. Yeah, they they make for such cool display pieces. You're showing up a, a Three Stooges box, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Really cool, really cool stuff, man. Yeah, uh, you know we were talking about the uh, the the moisture and condensation. You know, Brett asked asked this question: Do you store these things in a climate controlled room? Any tips on preserving your unopened material? Yeah, definitely. You want to keep it in you know in you know a climate controlled place. Definitely leave them out of attics or garages, places that aren't, you know, a consistent temperature, you know, like a room temperature throughout the year, like, you know, in uh, you know, 67, 68 degrees, 70 degrees. You don't want them in, um, you know, for example, like an attic, like, you know, my attic at my parents' house where I used to keep keep a lot of stuff when I when I was a kid. Um, it would be like 90, 95 degrees in there in the summer and 20 degrees in there in the winter. I mean, that, that's that's not a place where you want to be storing packs, especially cards. Ca cards can survive packs, um, you know, and depending on where you live, too. I mean, if you live in Florida or somewhere like like that, where high humidity, high moisture, 
yeah, you definitely want to keep them in a, in a good uh, climate controlled environment. And th there's all kinds of different ways to store packs. Um, They're like you know, cigars. I, you need a humidor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, the, or not, or a dry door, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah, same, same concept. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bob Boozle made this comment earlier. Chasing vintage packs seems like going on expeditions to find Sasquatch. I mean, it's like these things are so rare in some of them are so rare that he's not far off. We talked about earlier, the value of these things in, you know, what carries the value is it the pack or is it the cards? Well, diamond dog said, has to be carried by the cards. But Dave Snyder, who I think left the show, said the pack carries itself because of how rare it is, which to me, I think it, I think there's I think there's a couple of things at play there for sure. A vintage card collector said there's a couple of 1948 Bowman basketball packs. Nat yeah. Turner, chairman or, or president of PSA, uh, owns one of them. I mean, that's just an amazing, an amazing relic right there. Cardboard Profit said... This is an incredible display of specific knowledge right here. Really cool to hear decades of passion for a niche coming through in the way someone talks about it. Very nice. Here's a question I want you to answer, uh, Rex, from Eric Smith. He said, if someone wanted to begin a pack collection, where would you suggest one starts? Um, well, I, I don't know what, um, you know, what sports you, know, you like specifically, but <laughs> I think yeah. that... Um, I mean, for me, the, the, the role of collecting for me is always collect what you like, collect what you like or what, you know, so if, you know, let, let's say you were, uh, you know, you grew up in the 80s and, you know, those packs are very affordable. Start out with that, you know, find something that you like that you relate to. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I didn't start collecting packs because they were, you know, a certain value. I, I just loved them. I thought they were cool. I liked them. I thought they were unique. I thought they were different than what everybody else had as, as opposed to just having the cards. Um, you know, so for me, the number one rule of collecting is always collect what you like and start there. So, okay. So let's take it a step further because yeah. I think, I think, you know, one of the things is, first of all, do you want to collect modern stuff? And by modern, I mean like, you know, since upper deck came onto the scene in like 1989, are you looking, do you want a pack of 93 SP baseball? So you, so where, where Derek Jeter's rookie card came in, maybe you want 03 Tops Chrome Basketball with LeBron James rookie card or a 2005 Upper Deck Series 1 where Sidney Crosby's young gun could be contained. Like if you're a modern collector, I think that stuff's pretty cool. Like I don't, I don't have those packs, but I'm not against owning them one day. To me, those are pretty cool mementos. Linda's first throws out here the Lemieux rookie in 85 Opeachy pack. So now we're getting back into packs because after 89 we don't have many wax packs anymore but right. if you like modern stuff i would i would say go after the packs that you opened as a kid and really loved or the packs that contain some of your favorite or may contain some of your favorite cards and as you go backwards it's like rex to me it's this like it's this what i did as a you know hockey's my number one love to collect i i collected all the opichi packs from 1970 to 1989 I couldn't get 68 or 69. They're just, there's like two packs of each in existence or yeah. at least that PSA has slabbed. And they, they're, they're five figure packs. They're, 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 they're just really hard to get. So 70 to 89, great for me as a hockey collector. And then I, I picked a couple basketball, three basketball packs and a baseball yeah. pack. And I'll add a couple more, right? Maybe I'll go get an 86 tops football pack with 
with Jerry Rice or a 1980 with Joe Montana. That's that's how I would recommend people do it. But you really, there is a, to me, there's like a hard line from when wax packs stopped being the way they were packaged and it became foil and, and other, you know, and NBA hoops, for example, is in, is in plastic. So go with, pick, yeah, pick the sport you love the most, the players, the packs, the pro, the pro, the packs you open, the products. I mean, I remember opening 80 tops basketball, the panel, the, the perforated panel packs and, so I bought a pack of it. Luckily, yeah. I bought all my packs many years ago. Like, I Me think too. my my Michael Jordan pack with my 86 Fleer pack here, you know, this guy here, I think I bought this for $300. I know I bought it for $300. And now I think it's worth like four grand or something like that, which is yeah. mind-blowing. But, you know, buy what you can afford, buy what you like. And, um, and if you can, go buy it in 2005. Yeah, the, the 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 value the value comes later. I mean, I, I bought what I liked, and and now now I'm seeing the fruits of it because I bought all this stuff, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago when you could afford it. Um, you know, like I don't know, I could give you a thousand examples, you know, of just packs that I bought for whatever, 100, 200 bucks, and now they're thousands. I mean, it's just it's, it's crazy. I I can't buy stuff now like I used to. I got to be very selective. Yeah, for sure. Here's a question from Vintage Card Collector Rex. I don't know anything about this, but Seems interesting. He says, any chance you can comment on pack dealer Steve Sabo? Been at the National for 40 years. Nothing is graded, but he says almost everything came from one source years ago. Sounds like a pretty good source of unopened packs, but what can you tell us about this particular source? Yeah, so I, I'm familiar with Steve, um, not on a personal level. I know who he is. I've seen him at the National because as a pack collector, my I gravitate to unopened packs and He's got an amazing display of packs and boxes. <clears throat> Having said that, nothing is graded. Nothing is authenticated. He refuses to get anything authenticated. He basically says, I don't need them to be authenticated. Um, people I know that have looked at the, looked at his stuff have said, no, no good. Um, I'm just speaking what I've heard. I have no personal knowledge of it. Um, so I don't want to disparage anybody, but um, I mean, if you were asking my opinion, would I personally buy any of his rare packs? I would not because um, he's got some amazing stuff like early, <clears throat> early 50s stuff um, that you just don't see. And it's it's amazing stuff. And look, if he ever decides to send it off to PSA or have Steve give it his blessing, then, hey, you know, I'm all for it. But. Until then, I'm not spending that kind of money on because he because he wants he wants graded pack prices for ungraded packs, and that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, it's one thing for him to say I don't need to get it graded because I know it's good, or well, no, but your customers do. So otherwise, conversations like this are going to happen, and you're going to. It's almost yeah, it's it, it, it's uh it's a bit of a red flag, I would say. I don't even know him or I maybe I'm sure I've seen his booth, but I'm not familiar. But I yeah, I, I would be hesitant as well. And yeah, I just want to say one more thing too, is that uh, you know, I as I've been going to the nationals, the exact same packs are in his in his in his display every single year. So I'm not the only one who's passing on them. Yeah, no, fair, fair. Um, okay. We uh, we're I wanted to go to a question here from 
from Webo2. He says, regarding vending machines, which you we haven't even talked about this. We got about 10 minutes left in the show, but that's okay. Uh, what are Rex's thoughts about original condition versus restored vending machines? And you obviously have a wonderful collection of vending machines. We can see them behind you. Uh, please respond. I'm going to put it back up. Please respond to Webo2's question about original versus restored. Your thoughts. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, so I think my personal preference, as is most collectors, is you always want to have it in the original condition, if possible. Um, all of my machines are original, except for um, this 55 one up here on top, I think was repainted at one time. And um, when I bought it, I actually had the top of it re-chromed. Um, so it's had a little bit of restoration, but my other ones are all original. Um, and I... I I kind of like the original look. I like a little bit of dings here and there. You know, the paint's not perfect and it doesn't look like it came out of a showroom. Um, not now if I found one like that, you know, in, in its original state, <laughs> awesome. But I don't necessarily need to restore it to look like that. And I have a um I have a vintage non-sport vending machine. I don't have it here in, in back of me, but um uh that one is from the 60s and I I bought it. It basically came out of the box. It was never used. Um, so it's, it, it looks like it was restored, but it, it is completely original. And when I find stuff like that, that's just like mind blowing, you know, and, and, uh, that's what you want, but that's not always what you get, but, um, yeah, sure. That's is how, like, obviously I have my vending machine right there. It's the only one I have. There was another one that I saw at the Edmonton expo back in, uh, April or so. And I was tempted to buy it. I think it was, I think it was one of the ones on your higher shelf there. Uh, one of those ones on those top shelves. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was tempted to to buy it. I, I didn't. I, I probably regret that now. Uh, but talk, tell us a bit about, like, how many people are out there collecting these vending machines? Is it a serious niche within our – I mean, I own one, and I don't know anyone else besides you that collects these things. How, how many of us are – and I only have one, so I'm not really part of that community. <laughs> but if I was, how many people would I be meeting within that community? Probably not a lot. And and the main reason for that is because people don't know about them. Because I find that if I post pictures of these in a group or online, people go nuts over them. They love them. They're like, I got I got to get one of these. I got to go find them. I got, I'm jumping on eBay right now. I'm looking for them. I had no idea these existed. Because you don't see them very much. When you walk around at a big show like the National, you may see one or two of them on the floor, if that. And a lot of people just don't know they exist. But when they see them, their, their minds are blown because just like me, they're just, they're, they're awesome. They're just awesome pieces and they're, they're so much fun. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and hold this one up a little closer to the camera. Oh, they're so cool. So for a penny, you got a piece of gum and two or three cards. And, and the, these machines here are from uh, about 1954, 1955. They're, they're produced by the Oak Manufacturing Company, uh, which was a California company. So a lot of these machines that have surfaced have come from the West Coast. Um, so we don't even see a lot of them on the East Coast, although you're seeing more now with the Internet and eBay and you know, things getting passed around. But, yeah, like I said, if, if more people knew about these, more people would want them. Yeah, they're they're. I think they're just they make such cool display pieces. If you're a vintage card collector, you're a, you're a pack collector. I mean, these things, like, that's why I bought this one here. And I actually, 
you know, you can't really see it, but I've re- I replaced the cards in the front with some more modern stuff. I got it. There were I forget what was even in it. Nothing that yeah, that's the one I have. That that's the same graphic on the side of mine, the sports card center. Yeah, that, that, when, that, that, that is from? the one. I'm when, sorry. What, what, when's yeah. it from? Uh these are pretty much from the mid to late 70s to 80s, early 80s. <clears throat> and this is the one that I love because this is the one I specifically remember when I was a kid was in one of the grocery stores that I used to go to. Um, you know, r- right when you would go out the do- out the doors, they had a-, a vending machine like this with these graphics, and I absolutely love it. I love seeing that. It's one of my favorite machines. It's not my most valuable, but it's one of my favorites just because of that. It brings it brings yeah. it back for me. That's all. I got. I I found mine on uh, I found mine on Kijiji, which is like the Canadian version of Craigslist, and I think I got it for like sixty bucks or something. Yeah. Like it was dirt cheap. I have no idea what it's worth. Are you able to tell me what that machine I have might be worth? Yeah, so they're de- they're definitely out there. You can find them um, at fairly reasonable prices. If you've got one in nice shape, working condition, graphics look nice. Um, I mean, just the machine without anything kind of in it or any you know any cards placed in it. You know, the it's probably a three hundred dollar machine in that area, three fifty. Yeah, I know. Now, yeah. uh, I, I've had offers for this one with with the cards in it of I think close to a thousand dollars, just because I I did up a nice little display with you know I put nineteen seventy one as a theme. I got basketball, baseball, football, hockey in there. Cool. Um. So so you can really increase the value with how you display it. Right on. Uh, Stukes Baseball wants to know: Do you have any exhibits vending machines? Oh, that's that's a that's a funny question because I I've, I've wanted to pick one up. I don't like them all that much because they're usually very plain. They don't have any graphics on the side, so they don't they don't really uh you know stand out as much. But they are cool. And the funny part is, I went to a flea market this morning near my house, and the guy has a vending uh, an exhibit card vending machine for sale. So if it's there tomorrow, I think I'm going to go back and pick it up. It's from okay. the um, early '60s. Yeah. Very cool. Jake Dahl wanted to know, are those actual cards on the 55 vending machine or just pictures? The one that you pulled down. Real cards. Those are all authentic 1955 cards. That is the, that's uh, the best. The that's what they've got to be. That's so cool. Uh, Yankees that, that, fan says here that Rex was, Rex was going to talk cello too. Looks like overtime or have him back soon. To which Chris C says, Cello, is it me you're looking for? I wonder where you are. That's hello. I can Very do it real quick. Chris if you want. C. Very funny. Well done. Well done. Uh, good timing as well. Christy had a couple comments earlier that I did want to point out here. Uh, climate controlled is a must for storing these things. He mentioned earlier. Uh, there was an oh, and um, yeah, that was it. Okay, good. Uh, all right, yeah, we are we are gonna wrap up. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to. You know, schedule you to come back ag- again, Rex. You know, in, in down the road a little bit, and and yeah, get into this topic a little bit more because I think there's more to it. And uh, and as time goes by, there'll be more fines and and that kind of stuff. But you know, before we do sort of wrap up, is there any anything else you'd like to share? Um, I mean, m- most of all, like I said, you know, I think pack collecting is really it's just a cool part of the hobby. You know, if you're interested in it, you know, check out the Facebook group, learn a little bit, dive into it. Um, it, It's just one segment of things I collect. It's not the only thing I collect. Um, 
I collect cards. I, you know, I do, I do all the cards. I don't do any modern, but you know, I do vintage do cards collect? from all, all sports. I'm sorry. What, what, tell us a bit about what you do collect outside oh, of yeah. machines and packs. Yeah. I mean, v- vintage cards of any sport. I mean, basically uh, everything in my collection is pre 1989 going all the way back to the 1800s uh, tobacco cards, Gaudis, early tops. I've got, I've got a bunch of sets of complete sets of tops from the fifties and sixties that I put together. Um, Hall of Fame autographed rookie cards is something I got into uh, um, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, yeah. And the unopened stuff, <clears throat> I, I do some other stuff on the side too. Um, you know, some little um, kind of subsets of, uh, of uh, you know, cards, but um, yeah, th- those yeah, are kind of the sure. main, main things. Let me, I want to ask you this, and this question came up really early in the episode. We didn't get to it, but I, I'm curious. Uh, and me and Craig's cards have been having some some dialogue on this recently. But the word vintage, you know, we all, I, I think there's different ways to use it. I have my, how I define vintage for my collecting approach. What do you, when I say vintage packs, what does that mean to you? Where's the cutoff for you? So yeah, so not speaking about cards, but speaking about packs specifically. To me, packs. it's it, to me, yeah. To me, you mentioned it earlier. It, it it it's the wax packs. It's when they ended, you know, in like 1989, 1990. Um, now I'm not saying 1990 is necessarily vintage, although you know that's 30 almost 30 years ago. Um, but to me, that's kind of the cutoff. You know, the, the the old wax packs with the gum in it. That's the vintage stuff. That to me, that's that's the cutoff. What about what about cards? Do you feel the same way about cards, or do you have a different thought when it comes to the cards themselves? I feel a little different about cards. Um, to me, I think now I'd probably say like 1975 and below is what I consider Why? vintage. Why? Like, like kind of an arbitrary. Yeah, right. Because to me, to me, it re- I I don't know how you separate the cards from the packs. Like to me, I I don't like the the pack. The, the, the way they were distributed is really, for me, what drives when vintage ends. Because for me, there's really not much difference between the, the, the way the cards were sold in the 80s as the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, right? It's all, it's wax packs with gum inside. So for me, I consider vintage, depending on the sport, to basically end at 1989 uh that to me for me and i'm not saying it's it's this is how it is this is just how what i consider a vintage to be and i know there's some people say well it was up until don russ and fleer came into baseball in 81 or whenever it was well that's only one sport though so is that really it because they didn't change Mm -hmm. anything except for coming onto the scene you know you had new you had new packaging uh materials you had holograms on the back you had better photography you had no more gum with upper deck in 89 to me that's a real turning point and i i don't personally see another real big turning point uh before you know in the middle of the 70s or the 80s for me but listen that's that's a, that's a whole other discussion a whole other episode so when you said for me 1975 i want to say why what what you know what is that what is the what happened in 75 and i know you don't you can't there's no real answer well, it, it, it's kind of arbitrary. Like I said, I mean, everybody's got a different answer for that. There's no right or wrong answer. But I think like kind of after 75 and, you know, that, that's not a hard and fast deadline. But I think, you know, that, that's when we really, really started seeing like <clears throat> production really start ramping up into the 80s. Um, and you start getting into more of that manufactured collectible era. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think like cards were just a little different previous to that. It wasn't meant to be collect, you know, a collectible that we held on to for years and were worth thousands and thousands of dollars. I think there, that's kind of a little bit of a turning point, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that, that turning point for yeah. me would have come when I first discovered Beckett magazines and a, or, or when I would have first discovered a price guide for me, I didn't discover a price guide until I discovered Beckett magazine in, you know, whenever uh, they started coming out in the, in the eighties for baseball. And then eventually we had the hockey come out in like 89 or 90 or something. So it's, that's a whole other discussion. It's a fun <laughs> one. We'll never have consensus. I don't think, but, uh, and we yep. don't need it. You know, you can call, you can call vintage, whatever you want. I don't think there's, <laughs> there's a right or a wrong answer. Um, okay, we're going to wrap up. Andrew D said, it's been great, guys. I've been sitting here paying the bills, enjoying this conversation. Well done, fellas. Thank you very much, Andrew D. Tip of the mitt, thanks for joining us here tonight. Want to thank you, Stukes. Colin Murray says, hit hammer the like button, guys. Thank you for that, Colin. I'm going to be joining the Facebook group. Rex, remind everybody, what's the name of the Facebook group if they'd like to join it? Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I'm not an admin or own a group or moderator or anything. It's just a public service announcement that it's a great group, drama free group with a lot of good guys in it. Um, it is called Vintage Wax and Packs. There you go. Vintage Wax and Packs 86 Collectibles, another fantastic show to learn from. Thank you. Thank you, 86 Collectibles to Beat for being here. Mike Double V, good to see you. Says, I still couldn't resist opening packs unless they were graded. Tip of the mitt, I love sealed stuff as well. 86 Collectibles says, younger kids are calling the 90s vintage. Very good. Tip of the mitt says, I definitely see where Rex is coming from. Wax packs to cards. Vintage card collector, would you ever collect vintage wrap? Oh, this is a great question. We have to answer this one. Rex, would you ever collect a wrapper if you couldn't find or a pack just didn't exist? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do have some wrappers in my collection. It's not, it's not something I typically look for, but if I see something cool, I, I will pick it up. I don't have many, but um, yeah, I mean, super cool. If you yeah. can't get the pack, get the wrapper. <laughs> yeah, and they they display, you can frame them. They I have some in my collection. They display nicely too, yeah. as well. Mookie Chilson reminds us Beckett Price Guide started in 1984. Says great show, thank you, Mookie. All right, guys, we are going to wrap up. Thanks everybody in the chat for joining. Thank you for your comments, your questions. This was a fun one, and. You know, these two hours have flown by, Rex. So I want to thank you for bringing such an interesting topic to Sports Cards Live tonight to the audience. And um, I'm going to give you the final goodbye, and then we're going to sign off. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe we've been on for two hours because I love talking about this stuff, and it was so much fun, and the time just flew by, and uh, so many things we didn't even get get to talk about. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd look forward to, to doing it again sometime. But, uh yeah, I hope everyone found it informative and enjoyed it. Um, it's a great part of the hobby. And, um, you know, collect collect what you like. D delve into packs, get a pack or two and see what you think. Um, yeah, and other than that, had a great time, Jeremy. And I really appreciate you having me in. Yeah, well, thanks for joining, Rex. Everybody, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. This episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.